Hey y'all, before we hop into this episode of The Great American Scream, I wanted to let you know that we have launched our Patreon officially at patreon.com slash greatscreampod. We have some great tiers of rewards, including early access to episodes, voting on episode topics, and chatting with us in live streams. So go check it out. Once again, that is patreon.com slash greatscreampod. This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way, except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Adam, I have a very important question for you that uh, our entire friendship hinges upon it. I already, like... I thought after the zombie episode, when I told you that zombies are fast zombies, we already weren't friends. Am, like, am I going to redeem myself or is this going to push me further down the, the non-friendship um, hole? Well, let's, let's, let's just assume that when the podcast ends, if there's another episode the next week, we're like reset to zero. Okay. And, and we're good. <laughs> My question is this. Yeah. If I came to you and said, Adam, I'm dying. Oh, darn. Oh, dang. Can you reanimate me and put screws in my neck and turn me into a cool sick monster would you do it for me now yes i would now i have a a follow-up question is the screws in your neck part of the reanimation process or just something cosmetically that you would want i just think it'll look sick okay yeah because then i kind of because as far as reanimation goes i don't think the bolts will do anything but if you want that i can make it happen right right. i'm expecting you to use the uh, rene rebirth jutsu from naruto oh okay and sacrifice another soul to bring me back but i just want cool screws in my neck just like my good friend frankenstein's monster okay yeah and hello welcome to the great american scream (laughs) Uh, my name's devin right my name's adam o'connell and before everybody gets touchy with us yes throughout this episode we are going to be talking about the character of frankenstein's monster not the doctor but hey hey it's fine it's fine we're just everybody calls him Frankenstein. It's going to be OK. It, it, we're going to use them interchangeably. We know the difference between Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. We all know it's 2020. Words belong to the people who use them. We can just say Frankenstein. It's OK. Yeah. And also, we'll he's a lot more deserving of a cool name than the doctor is. So, yeah, take that name. Yeah, take it. Uh, reclaim it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. The doctor is the real monster. We're going to call him Frankenstein. Um, but let's talk about Frankenstein's monster, because I think he's perhaps the most iconic universal classic monster. He's like maybe not the most popular, but he's the first thing I think of when I think of a universal classic monster. That's interesting. I, I think that in the creation of this podcast, I kind of uh, rediscovered the fact that universal classic monsters are like a property that mm-hmm. exists. But I would not be surprised if Frankenstein was the most well-known okay yeah of, I feel like of he, the of the monsters i feel of like the monsters. In, in the lore of this like space jam <laughs> universal classic monsters right. team i th- i feel like he's the leader i feel like he's in charge the leader what position does he play as the leader of, of basketball as you would obviously know and i definitely know <laughs> um and i'm quizzing you now f- forward quarterback okay is wait is uh, forward a real basketball position i think do they, so do they call them positions yeah what else would they call them i don't know i feel like there's Spots, another word for them roles jobs <laughs> anyway okay let's move on yeah um so frankie said he doesn't have like 
cool powers like Dracula or the mummy, nor was he the first classic monster because that was technically the fan of the opera, even though most people don't consider him a classic monster. Right. But he still was one of the scariest things to come out of the 1930s. People were absolutely terrified of him. And I like as an adult, I don't think of Frankenstein is scary, especially because he's played so like sympathetically now. However, when I was a child, uh, hey, upstate New York gang, I used oh. to go on vacations to Lake George. And we've all been there. <laughs> there's this amazing place in Lake George uh, called the House of Frankenstein Wax Museum. But there was a man outside who was dressed as Frankenstein. And for the whole week I was there, I was absolutely petrified of him and would not walk on that side of the street where I knew the Frankenstein Museum was because I was so scared of oh him. Oh, my God. And the whole trip, my parents tried to tell me he was nice. And I think he even like caught on and like would try and wave hello to me. And I was not having it. And one day I'll return to Lake George to make amends with this Frankenstein. Yeah, this sounds like a special, a special segment that we have to film a documentary of you going to make amends with the Lake George Frankenstein. Yeah, if you're out there, Lake George Frankenstein, I'm sorry. I I bet you're I bet you're lovely. My version of that was uh, the genie at Disney. I just didn't want to. I wasn't about it. I get that. He's got an odd shape to him. He's very large, uh, imposing (laughs) even. Yeah. But what I was what I was going to say is uh we talked about this with zombies and with vampires that we as a society have started to like sympathize with villains Mm -hmm. way more or at least with the like monster type villains and i would say frankenstein's kind of the first yeah the first one of that like he's absolutely pitying him yeah and that mary shelley probably wanted that exactly because it is intrinsic in the fiction that that we're supposed to pity him in some way exactly and that's kind of his his very origins lend him to being this kind of sympathetic character, even though as like the classic monsters franchise, as it were, moved on, he then just kind of became a horror icon like the rest of them are. He right. was originally written as a a sympathetic monster. So let's go back to Mary Shelley, inventor of science fiction. Please. My personal mother, mother my of mom all and goths. yours. Yeah. Mo- if you're yeah. goth, Mary Shelley mothers. is your mom. <laughs> There are two mothers of the Great American Scream, Mary Shelley and Tara Kuntis. Yeah. Um, on the weekdays, I'm at Tara Kuntis's house. And on the weekends, I get to go to Mary Shelley's. There's a very large legal battle. It, yeah. It, it got kind of messy, but they still they're still friendly. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, so Frankenstein, 1815, Mount Tambora in Indonesia erupts and launches Europe Asia and the East Coast of America into the 1816 year without a summer. You taking us back. Yeah. Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. So uh, this year that summer, uh, volcanic ash from the eruption polluted the air and the warm farming season never came and killed volcanic the Volcanic winter. Yes. It was yeah. a volcanic winter. So Mary Shelley and her lover at the time, uh, Percy Byron Shelley, along with their one-year-old daughter and Mary's sister, who was pregnant by Lord Byron, was also there. No, okay. So people in this house. So we got four people. Yes, and Mary one Shelley. of them is a one-year, well, four people and a one-year-old baby. And a, and a baby. Okay, yes. So we got Mary, Percy, Mary's sister, nobody knows her name, and <laughs> and Lord Byron, yeah. first name Lord, Yeah. last name Byron. Who had gotten Mary's sister pregnant. So right. there's another baby coming, but... So there are two, okay, two babies, one inside of a person. Yes. And the other one is out. Yes. So they all go together to uh, a vacation in a cottage in Lake Geneva, Switzerland, 
where they would go for their summers, but the weather sucked. So they couldn't do their like outdoor merriment activities. So they're stuck inside and Byron, Percy and Mary decide to tell scary stories to each other out of this book they had. And then Lord Byron goes, LOL, I bet none of us could write a better scary story than these. And so they decided to have a contest to see who could write the best ghost story. And Mary Mary Shelley Shelley writes hold Frankenstein. (laughs) She goes, hold my whatever cliche yeah. thing that we say. Uh, I'm going to write one of the like, I'm going to invent a new genre, I'm gonna invent the while, genre I, while I'm at it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we don't even remember. Well, I didn't even put in the outline whatever Lord Byron and Percy Shelley wrote. Yeah. Who the, who the hell cares? Who cares? She wrote Frankenstein. So if you're not familiar with the OG Frankenstein story, which was published in 1818 as Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus, referring to- A great name. Great also. name, referring to the doctor as the modern doctor, Prometheus, because right. I think people get confused, but so it follows- right, which does, sorry, which does confuse the, the, we'll talk about Victor Frankenstein, not a good dude. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, you know, Prometheus is kind of a tragic hero in Greek right, mythology, exactly. but that it just- from the jump, Mary Shelley, you're such a genius to be like the modern Prometheus would not be good. Mm-hmm. Like mm, Mary Shelley. OK, yeah. keep going. So, I can't, we can't spend this much time. on <laughs> the, the story follows Victor Frankenstein, an Italian Swiss scientist and student of the University of Ingolstadt, who becomes obsessed with alchemy and finding the elixir of life. And uh, marries that practice with the practice of science by creating a living being stitched together from corpses. He is horrified by what he creates because he intended it for it to be beautiful and turns out that it is not. Um, and it is, abandons yeah, very much it. Not. And abandons it so the creature is left to fend for himself to discover where he came from and why he exists. And then ultimately confront his creator who brought him onto this earth without his consent. Mm. Again, what a what a baller ass premise, Mary. Absolutely. I, so Adam, I don't even have any commentary. It's just it's so just good. good. So in the book, the creature slash monster he's referred to like the creature, the monster, the demon, the there's a lot of things. But so the this creature slash monster looks way different than the Frankenstein we think of today, and we'll get into why that is. But in the original story, he's eight feet tall with extremely thin yellow skin that said you can see his like veins and muscles under it because Mm -hmm. it's stretched so thin, long flowing black hair. They specifically call it flowing, uh, very Uh white teeth, uh, white watery eyes and black lips. And this was supposed to be scary, a monster, very attractive. No, very scary, not very attractive and desirable (laughs) and wanted by all of us, including me and you. Yeah. (laughs) He this also, sounds like my dream man. He also, by the end of the novel, is intelligent, coherent, and educated, and uh, is a- able to carry out full conversations, and I think can write, but I might be misremembering that. Um, while the yeah. Frankenstein we kind of know of doesn't really achieve, he's still kind of in this, like, grunting Right. Yeah, he kind state. of becomes mixed with zombie-ness, yeah. in that he can be kind of lethargic and and stupid, or at least oafish. Which is really interesting, again, when we talk about the like link to the Prometheus story of like, there's a really interesting modernist idea of like bringing something to life without its consent. And if that's okay, Mm -hmm. and yet even being brought back to life or to life without his consent, he still goes on to be like any other human on some um, some sort of quest for knowledge and and ability that we all like aspire to. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so of course we all call him Frankenstein, but he's never really given a name. I think in some like other adaptions, they try and name the creature. Sometimes they call him Adam because he's like the first, the first man man stuff. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, it was a random summer at Lake Geneva. She didn't have, she already came up with the name Frankenstein. Yeah. You can't be like, name your monster too. Frankenstein's already perfect. I already got one. Yeah. Um, so and the reason that we all uh, mistakenly refer to him as Frankenstein is because everyone did that after the Boris Karloff film, which we'll get to. But even still, he was not billed like he was billed in the film, but he was filmed as a question or billed as a question mark or like a dot, dot, dot. So they never they didn't call which, him that. In also, either. that is a great name for Frankenstein. Just call him dot, dot, dot or call him question mark or call yeah. him ellipses. Like, that's so good. <laughs> so. Um, The book was obviously massively popular and during the advent of silent film around a century after the book was released, uh, we got to see the first adaption in 1910 Edison Studios that yes, Thomas Edison, his personal film studio, bad dude, but yeah, produced Frankenstein, the first ever adaption of the book. Uh, It was 16 minutes long and was believed to be lost until the 1980s when a Wisconsin uh, film collector found it in his collection, having no idea how rare it was. Because it was just bad. He was like, yeah, it's just random. I don't know. It was just it was just I found one of these tubes and I saw it and I was like, ah, some college kid made a shitty Frankenstein thing. Turns out Thomas Edison. Yeah, the uh, the company deliberately tried to make it less about the macabre and more about the mysticism as to not like repulse audiences, although it kind of didn't work. Um, yeah. In the movie, Frankenstein chemically creates the creature in a vat and the creature haunts him until his wedding night when he and his fiance make it disappear with the power of love. Okay. I think they cite sure. it like that's not me like some like they cite it as the power of love. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was preserved. They, <laughs> um, they make it, they make him like the Joker. They put him in a vat of acid okay. and they're like, here's my man. And also now you're gone. Power love. I, you know, Adam, yeah. I'm not hot on this Thomas Edison guy. I'm not, uh, I, you know, I don't like to hate on movies, but I'm going to give this one, one, one out of five stars. If I'm if if you're interested in giving your own personal review, it was preserved by the Library of Congress and the whole thing is on YouTube now. If you like silent movies, I think it's fun just to see how very old it is. Like it's this is a hundred and ten year old movie just on YouTube. Yeah. Imagine if you showed Thomas Edison his Frankenstein movie, but on YouTube, like you pulled out of what like. He would explode. You scroll down and the comment is like, why no, why no words? He well, would explode. <laughs> like, you can't um, fathom it. Well, I, we did say at the beginning of this podcast that we launched our Patreon. Maybe we're just going to watch this silent version <laughs> of Frankenstein on this one. We'll provide screen. what the dialogue should have been. That's a great idea. That's trademark. actually a really good idea. Trademark, trademark. Um, trademark, trademark. So we really started like a cooking. line sketch. Yeah. We really started cooking with gas uh, with the 1931 film, the Boris Karloff film, uh, which was the first adaption with sound. Uh, now, the monster's design in this movie, which is so iconic to what we think Frankenstein's monster to be, was created by Jack Pierce. Guess who's back? Back again. Jack Pierce. Jack Pierce. Um, Your so, friend and mine. So fun fact, Bela Lugosi 
more famously Dracula, was actually supposed to play the monster in this movie, but left the project after makeup tests. Now, he and Jack Pierce did not get along. I think we talked about in the Vampires episode how I believe so, yeah. B- Bella wanted to do his own makeup for Frank or for Dracula, rather, and Jack Pierce hated that, but Bella goes, he won. So he and Jack Pierce didn't get along. So many suspect it was because of creative disagreements with the makeup design and the fact that Lugosi signed on because he thought he was going to play the doctor. Ah, see, got called by his agent. His agent said they want you to play Frankenstein. And he was like, hell yeah, yeah. I love that crazy doctor. Wow. But he was cast as the monster. However, this may have become uh, be because of a script difference. In the original version of the film, the one that was pitched to Bela Lugosi, the monster was a mindless killing machine instead of the sympathetic and misunderstood creature we know him to be now. And Lugosi didn't agree with that characterization, which I think is a good call. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Boris Karloff was one of the few actors that Jack Pierce really got along with. He kind of had a reputation of having a, uh, a short temper with actors, mm. which understandable. So not your friend or mine. Yes. <laughs> um, but he got along really well with Boris Karloff and they cooperated together on the design of Frankenstein's makeup. Uh, the whole look took four hours to complete every day. Oh. And uh, Karloff removed one of his dental plates to make an indentation on the side of his face for oh. this look. Uh, the head was built up from scratch every day using cotton, collodion, and spirit gum. And uh, green grease paint was used to make him look pale and corpse-like on screen. This is why we think of Frankenstein's monster as green, because in all of the posters and the colorizations that came out, he was green. People go, oh, yeah, makes sense. he's supposed to be green. But really, they only did it so he would kind of look pale look and corpse-like pale on, on Yeah, on the black and white film. Which is what they did with a lot of uh, creature designs and just uh, movie makeup in general in black and white films. So if you ever look at colorizations of like people filming black and white films, everyone looks insane because you had to have oh, yeah. very specific colors of grease paint on to appear certain ways on screen. Um, right. And, then and pe- if you're interested in that kind of makeup stuff, we did do an episode called Creature Feature Yeah, a few months back. That is very good. Yeah. Um, and then so Pierce and Karloff would go on to work together uh, again in The Mummy in 1932, where they also uh, collaborated on the makeup design. Now, uh, Frankenstein, the first film, uh, the film was pre-code. But there were still some okay. controversial scenes. Uh, the one where the monster uh, is playing with the little girl and then throws her into a lake because he thinks he's playing and accidentally drowns her was labeled as one of the most controversial. Um, Very as Lenny. well, Yeah. As well as lines mentioning. Now, they changed his name in the film from Victor Frankenstein to Henry Frankenstein. I don't know why, mm. but they did. Um, uh, but- maybe they just they were very. This was the 1930s. They were like, screw the Germans. <laughs> I don't mean, like it. And also why. they wanted. Yeah, they also wanted to make, link him to Henry Ford because everybody hated that guy. Yeah. Um, but so any lines mentioning his God complex were uh, also controversial. Um, that's one of Ooh. the things that got uh, removed when the Hayes Code came into effect. Um, and the state of Kansas uh, requested that 32 scenes were cut from the theatrical release, which was literally over half the film. Um, and the oh, film was yeah. also banned in Ireland for the first month of release, but then went on to be released after, I guess, whatever the, the, the FCC of Ireland at the time uh, deemed it yeah. appropriate. You know, it's it's really interesting to look back at, a I think, a piece of work that I don't think anybody today would consider controversial, Mm-mm. like really in any way, not even like scary or like problematic like even even a monster throwing a little girl into a lake and like accidentally drowning her that's like 
that that seems like an impactful scene that like makes sense in this story mm-hmm. and that wouldn't get dinged by like the motion picture association but to think about the time that the world was in in 1930 whatever that they were like oh this guy's playing god we don't want that like yeah. how how radical a piece of literature could have been in the 1800s and then when it was adapted into film continue to be that controversial just again, Mary Shelley doing the, doing yeah. the Lord's work, Mary. And what's interesting, I think, the most about the Universal Classic Monsters is like they were the Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface of their yeah. time. And like nowadays, we think of those Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, those kind of slasher killers as being not appropriate for children. And the Universal Classic Monsters almost get designated as like these are the monsters that are for kids. Like whenever we see, yeah. we see like kids Halloween media and there's always characters dressed as Dracula and Frankenstein and mummies and stuff because uh, they're, they're deemed as child appropriate and things that kids, yeah, like almost, if kids want to be scared, they can do that. Yeah. And almost sanitized from a horror perspective over decades and decades. And not only was it sanitized from a horror standpoint, but it also in some ways, and we talked about this with zombies and vampires, sanitized the actual artistic intent of the monsters as well when we talk about vampires and zombies it's a bit harder to pin down just because they're such wider more widely influenced by many different pieces of media but with frankenstein we know where it came from yeah right we know what mary shelley was writing about the thing was called the modern prometheus we know that she is playing with these ideas and so it's very obvious how fully like washed away the artistic intent of a character like frankenstein is today yeah, absolutely. But the film itself in 1931 was an absolute smash hit, regardless of Hell censorship, yeah. uh, having grossed 1.4 million in the box office. And that's 1931 money in uh, 2020 money. It's about 24 million. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Comparatively to the size of the yeah, movie yeah, exactly. industry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it cost uh, $262,000 to make, which again, then in 2020 money is 4.5 million. So really it's the profit that's a, that that's would, a cheap movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's the profit that we're talking about. They made a ton of money on this movie and people were absolutely terrified of it with many audience members reportedly having nightmares for weeks following scene yes because at this point this was one of the scariest this and dracula which came out the same year were some of the scariest things ever to appear on a movie screen oh yeah and when we talk about the kind of methods that people were using to like make their skin look like otherworldly that really hits people when they're sitting in a theater for you know probably the less than 10th time in their life yeah and they're like that man doesn't look real, but he's moving and he's a person and that's scary. Don't like it. Yeah. And yet it still painted the monster as a sympathetic creature, misunderstood and unsure uh, of how the world works or why he exists. And by the end of the film, uh, he's trapped inside a burning windmill set ablaze by angry villagers. Yeah. But the second, the whole second, like two, two thirds of this movie kind of just goes off the rail of the original plot. There haven't been a lot of Frankenstein adaptions that are 100% true to the book. Right. They kind of just take the first third and then go, and then we'll figure out what happens after that. Yeah, it seems like the kind of the kind of uh, property where people just want to reinterpret it. Like mm-hmm. it's one of those things where somebody goes, I have a good idea for Frankenstein. Yeah. And so it went on to spawn several sequels throughout the 1930s and 40s, including uh, 1935's Bride of Frankenstein, which is my second favorite classic monsters film behind uh, Dracula, starring Elsa Lanchester as the monster's bride and containing one of my favorite 
classic horror lines of all time, which is in the final spoiler, the final scene of the movie when it's the doctor and Elizabeth, if her name is Elizabeth, at that point is then in the lab with the, the, the bride and the monster. And then there's like another doctor too. And he's like the evil doctor and the, the, the monster lets Frankenstein and his girlfriend go free. And then points to the the evil doctor and goes not you we belong dead and then flips the switch and it destroys the entire lab destroying uh. him the monster and the bride oh it's so good and then this was followed by son of frankenstein in 1939 which is uh first to introduce the character of igor who is not present at all in the in book, the book. Yeah. or the original film uh, but igor in this film played by bella lugosi uh, this was Karloff's last appearance as the monster in the film. And uh, the franchise after this kind of went into the B-movie genre, mm. um, which made sense for most of the classic monster yeah, films. you know. Yeah. Following this was The Ghosts of Frankenstein in 1942, starring uh, Lon Chaney Jr. and uh, Bela Lugosi. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. as the monster. Uh, followed by Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Uh, yes. starring Lugosi as the monster and then Lon Chaney Jr. as the Wolfman. They were just a group of guys being like, hey, you want to take my role this time? We'll <laughs> yeah, you want to try around. on my costume now? Um, and then House of Frankenstein in 1944 and House of Dracula in 1945, where Boris Karloff returned to play the doctor. Yes. Re reunion, baby. Yeah. And uh, of course, this franchise technically caps off with Abbott and Casella meet Frankenstein in 1948 yeah. uh, in which the monster was not played by Boris Karloff but was trained by Boris Karloff uh, so mm. that he'd be able to play the monster I guess to the correctly. best of his ability correctly <laughs> so Frankenstein in general has been less adapted than his compatriot Dracula very sad uh, but still has a pretty wide film catalog especially there have been a ton of a ton of wild B movies, either using the Frankenstein character or just the name Frankenstein, including I was a teenage Frankenstein, Frankenstein's daughter, Frankenstein meets the space monster, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter, <laughs> Dracula what? versus Frankenstein. Wait, why does Jesse James meet his daughter and well, not him? We, we, <laughs> well, we met his daughter in the movie beforehand. And now Jesse James gets to meet her. But why? <laughs> Okay, sure, sure. Yeah. We also get Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein, of course, um, which is an adaption of the Frankenstein story, but it's also kind of a sequel because it's about the, I guess, the uh, uh, the doctor's family coming and right returning and trying to get rid of the, the trying to bring, take away the shame from the family name, but just does all the same stuff. Right, and, right. And in which the, the it's a, the, um, the monster performs a musical rendition of putting on the putting Ritz. Putting on the Ritz, baby. Um, great, excellent Halloween movie. Great musical. Go watch Young Frankenstein if you haven't this season. And now Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is technically a Frankenstein adaption. Absolutely. Yeah, people only look. Because here's the thing, too, about Frankenstein. I think we get we've gotten so used to the Frankenstein story that we don't even realize when we're watching adaptions anymore. Like. We don't even think back to the source material anymore. I mean, sure, Adam, but the doctor's name is Dr. Frankenfurter. It's literally a joke but I, of I, putting okay, Frankenstein like we, together with like, a beef wiener. Yeah, I know. But we know we know that it's a Frankenstein adaption, but we're not thinking about 
it when we right. watch the movie. I I'm with you. It's yeah. like it, it's like it seems like there uh, a lot of audiences are like, oh, they were just doing a joke with the name. Exactly. They were. It was yeah. that it was kind of like people treated it as a parody of Frankenstein. Right. But I think it's more of an adaption of Frankenstein. Yeah, adaptation for sure. There's also a an often forgotten 1994 adaptation starring uh, Robert De Niro as the monster and Kenneth Branagh as Victor and Helena Bonham Carter as Elizabeth. Yeah, we haven't. We should talk about that one more. I've never seen this. I actually had never heard of it until uh, I was. Let's watch that. Yeah, I know. I hope it's good. Like, I hope I'm not about to Google it. I hope it's so bad. But I, I trust Kenneth Branagh. I, uh, I t- <laughs> that, that's a hard sentence for me to I guess. jive with. I'm sorry, Kenneth Branagh, if you're listening to this f- five years from now when we're in a movie together or whatever. <laughs> I trust Helena Bonham Carter. I, uh, that's okay. a hard one. Too. I trust Helena Bonham Carter 99% of the time. Okay. All right. Um, but she was also, really good in the adaptation of Twelfth Night. She's she, great. Yeah. Um, Guillermo del Toro has been trying to do a remake since 2009 starring Doug Jones as the monster to which I said, do it, please. God, he'd yeah, be perfect. Like, Shape of water is a, is a, a play on the same. It's creature from the black like, lagoon. Like we, Doug Jones. Right, know, it's creature, yeah. You don't even yeah. have to give Doug Jones a script. He knows exactly what he's, he's going to come on and do. Right. And I feel like Guillermo del Toro will not only like actually adapt the novel, but be possibly one of the best people in today's world to adapt the ideas of it. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like, like I was saying before, like he knows what Mary Shelley was trying to do, you know, yeah. but also like maybe let a woman direct it. That too. But I'm, I'm good with Doug Jones playing the monster. Oh, sure. Doug Jones would Hell absolutely yeah. rock it. Um, and the universal, the dark, uh, the, What's it called? The Dark Universe? The Universal Classic Dark Cinema Monsters Universe of Cinematic Universal Classic Monsters yeah. Universe. If it continues, which I hope it does, even though The Mummy was bad, we can still do it, everybody. We already planned this. We're throwing out that mummy. We're bringing the old mummy back yeah, just into inclu- the new canon. That one's not even that old. Just include it. Just say, oh, never yeah. mind. It's the Brendan Fraser mummy. Yeah. Um, but if it goes forward, apparently wants to do a version with Javier Bardem as the monster. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Leaning into the sexiness of him. I, I that's that was my first thought too. Is that yeah. I I know that we're trying to make Frankenstein's monster sympathetic, but do we need to make him sexy? This is a genuine question. Well, if we want to be faithful to the novel, then yes. <laughs> then yes. He needs to be eight <laughs> feet tall with long flowing black hair and very sexy. Um, very, very sexy. My, I, because I, <laughs> I feel like Dracula has kind of got the real estate on being like the sexy class, like in the boy band that is the Universal Classic Monsters. Dracula yeah. is the sexy one, and I feel like he would get mad about Frankenstein stepping on his turf. No, but I feel like it's a it's a '90s boy band thing where like you're either somebody who you know if you're really into Dracula, that's fine. But if you're like if you're like oh no, he's too much of a pretty boy. Than you okay. like Frankenstein because he's like the dark. That's what I'm thinking. Like, because well, Dracula's all, pretty dark. Yeah, they're, they're all pretty all, dark. They're monsters. <laughs> yeah, but he's like a he's like a like a sultry like sexual guy. See, yeah, I feel like Frankenstein's sensitive. Exactly, and Frankenstein has the harsher exterior but the softer inside. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel definitely the Dracula's the one that all the normies. Like, like he's exactly. the popular one. And then Frankenstein, the, those are the ones that are like, oh, I'm not that into Dracula, but Frankenstein. 
Frankenstein's so nice. And then everybody who likes Frankenstein gets made fun of for being like overly edgy. But actually, Frankenstein's a better vocalist than all the other people. And the fact that we've been ignoring it for five albums is honestly annoying. I think I think the Wolfman would be the best best vocalist of this group, personally. Because he howls. Because he do. He just, oh, <laughs> yeah. He do be howling. That was just my gut. My gut feeling was that the Wolfman. I feel. Would be the OK, best wait, wait, wait. So go through go through them with me. Yeah. OK. Who's in this boy band? It's OK. Are we going by the regular like who's considered the classic monsters? I don't know. It's your thing. Okay. This so is our it's definitely Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, yes. Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, she's in it. She's okay. in it. Uh, was that like, is zombie in there? Zombie's not in there. Zombie's not a classic okay. monster. I would put in the creature from the Black Lagoon and the mummy. All right. I Good. would potentially open a spot for the Phantom of the Opera. I was going to ask about the Phantom of the Opera. That's an interesting one. That that's yeah. that's something we can talk about. But I think I feel because he he lends himself to being in this in the singing group. Like he yeah, would, but I feel like I feel like he was maybe involved when the band was in its infancy, like was okay. just a corporate entity that was All being right. created. But then they realized that he had a really solid solo career that he could. OK, have. Uh, yes. And so he, he went off to Broadway. Career. Kind of a Harry yeah. Styles situation where he's kind of a Harry Styles situation. And. I feel like the problem the problem with this of all these fans thirsting over Frankenstein is that Frankenstein and the bride are obviously involved. And I feel like the bride right. would the bride would get disrespected by the fans, which and, she does yeah, not deserve. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. She'd be she'd be hated by the fans because she's the only woman in this boy band, which is not fair. And also the fact that all of these Tumblr and Twitter people who we love and they're very supportive of the band, but they keep shipping Frankenstein and the mummy. Because they think that they're really good together. But honestly, it's kind of rude to be shipping real life people. It is. Uh, who are just here to bring who just here to bring you music and happiness. And, and I don't think that we should The bride deserves more respect than this. Yeah, she's great on the she's drums. She's obviously the best vocalist. <laughs> she's best vocalist while on the drums. And she can also play a pretty good tune on the keyboard, too. Yeah. Anyway, trademark this idea because I'm going to make a movie about this. It's a it's a good like Nick. It's yeah. like the Nick version of Descendants. It's also basically what the Beetlejuice show and Universal was. Just don't don't tell anybody. Oh, Shh. all right. The Beetlejuice well, one didn't have the mummy been, in it. So this has been our episode about boy bands and monsters mashup. Thank you so much. Monster for listening. mash, if you will. The monster mashup, if you will. This has been The Great American Scream. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rate and review. If you're on iTunes, if you're on Spotify, you can follow the podcast and share it. There's a nice little share button that makes a pretty post on social media. As I said at the beginning of the episode, we have launched our Patreon. Please check it out at patreon.com slash greatscreampod. It is super exciting that we have it, and we're hoping to see some of you there. Uh, giving whatever support you can, any amount helps. And we have super cool perks, everything from early episode releases to voting on new episode topics and monthly movie live streams where Adam makes me watch scary movies. Adam, can you pimp our social medias? Uh, Yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Um, Let us know your favorite Frankenstein movies or your favorite Universal Classic Monster or who you think should front the Universal Classic Monsters band. Um, You can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And um, let us know if there is something you want to hear about on the show because your suggestion may become the subject of a future episode. Yes. A special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the intro for the podcast, as well as Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can find him on Twitter. Also, if you have not already, please go and check out Casper Oliver's wonderful podcast, Jar of Rebuke. 
It is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's very good. We're probably going to play a trailer for it right now. Have you ever wondered what wanders the fields at night? Or have you seen lights out in the woods that you know are not lightning bugs or deer with just a few too many eyes? Well, all of these things are commonplace within the farm town of Wichton. Jar of Rebuke is a Midwestern gothic horror comedy audio drama run by a queer-heavy cast and crew. Delve into the cornfields, explore the woods by the river, and make sure you bring your favorite dish to the local potluck, because Wichton is full of many fine folks for you to meet, creatures for you to encounter, and many mysteries for you to solve. The creatures and hauntings within Jar of Rebuke are all based on real lore and legends from the Midwestern United States, from the black-eyed children to the not-deer to the Michigan melon heads. Follow Dr. Jared Hell's audio journal and his run-ins with these various creatures while trying to remember his forgotten past. With the voices of myself, Casper Oliver, as well as Vanessa Rosengrant, Ashley Kraft, Cecil Fox, and guests like Jason The Rock, Misha Bakshi, and Conrad Mishuk, as well as many, many more, providing their talents to flesh out the world of Wichden, the townsfolk within, and even the supernatural creatures themselves. Compared by listeners to things like Welcome to Night Vale, SCPs, the Magnus Archives, and Tannis, if those things, but with a Midwestern Gothic twist, seem up your alley, be sure to tune in on every 7th and 21st on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast fix for new episodes of Jar of Rebuke. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. I have been Devin Wright. I have Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Yeah. Hey, boy band, if you're out there, well, singing group, Bride, I'm so sorry. But if you're out there, I'll manage you. I'm not doing anything right now. Oh, yeah. We got, we, we'll be groupies. We'll do whatever. Yeah. You guys need boxes to be carried around? We got you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>